Well, good evening. How are you guys all doing tonight? Yeah, awesome. Well, welcome to all of you here in the room with us and all of you joining us online. We're blessed to be here with all of you tonight. We're going to be continuing our study through 1 Peter, and we're uh, actually starting chapter 4 tonight, looking at verses 1 through 6. And what we're going to be talking about is how to make the time we have left count, all right? Um, If someone asked you to spend the next two full years of your life, 24 hours a day, minimal breaks, the next two years of your life calling people who would never pick up the phone, would you do that? Would you say, yeah, that sounds great, I wanna do that? Well, according to time management studies, that's what exactly, exactly what many of us do. We waste two years of our life making phone calls to people who never pick up and never answer. We spend six months of our life sitting at red lights waiting for them to turn green. We spend eight months reading junk mail. Five years of our life is spent in grocery store lines, which is why apps like Instacart are so popular today, right? I don't want to stand in line anymore. Just deliver it to me and I'll pay extra. Now, we're all aware of time, right? We track it. We count it. We keep track of it. We have devices on our wrists, devices in our pockets that tell us what time it is so that we'll be on time places. Or for some of us, they just remind us of that we're always late, right? But we mark time. We mark it by seconds. We mark it by minutes. We mark it by hours, days, weeks, months, years. We keep track. We follow calendars, right? Here in the, at least in the Western world, we follow a 365-day calendar that tracks the, the solar year for us, and we mark days off. And in those 365 days in a year, that's 8,766 hours or 525,949 minutes in one year. And you can figure out seconds on your own, but it's a whole lot, right? There's a lot of time, and we keep track of it. In the United States, the average amount of time that a human life has is 79.05 years. That's how much time, on average, humans are living today in the United States. Now, why am I bringing up time, and why am I talking about time? Well, the reason is because it's one of the key thoughts that Peter gets into here in chapter 4. And really, the key point that Peter's going to be bringing up is because time is a gift, albeit an elusive gift, we're to make good use of our time. We're to invest our time wisely. You know, when we're young, we have a perception that time is endless, right? We have an endless supply of it. You know, when you're a junior higher, you're like, oh, man, I'm never going to be a senior. Right? That's only four years away, right? I blinked in four years past. You know, you graduate, you know, time seems to slow down a little bit as you get older, or speed up, I mean, as you get older, time seems to speed up rapidly, and it's not just weeks and and months that go by, but it's years and decades go by in the blink of an eye. You know, and some studies say that the the theory of why time seems to speed up as we get older is because we're, we're experiencing less new things. Right When we're young, everything's a new experience, and so it's like, oh, new this and new that. But, but as we go older, we get into these routines of, 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 of just doing the same thing over and over, and it's just time seems to slip by us. Commentators say that uh, Peter 
has his own lifetime in mind as he's writing what he writes here in chapter 4. And really, a lot of commentators think that Peter was, was, was anticipating his own martyrdom, that he was looking at the end of his life um, as a very imminent threat. And so as he writes this, they think that's what he had in mind as he's encouraging us to make wise use of our time. He mentions time twice in these six verses, and really it's because we're to be aware of time, more specifically how we use it. In Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, it says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. You know, time is a precious resource. We know that. It's a precious resource because it marches forward and we can't get it back once we've lost it, right? If time passes, you can't get that time back. You can't go back to yesterday. You can't go back to last week or last month. And in the big picture of our lives here on earth, we all have exactly one lifetime that we get to live here on earth. And what we do in this life has dramatic effect on what's to happen in the next life in eternity. And so it's very important to decide how to spend the time you've been given. But I'd encourage all of us not just to think about how we spend our time, but really to think about how we invest our time. What do we do with the time we are given that is an investment into our future? You know, the idea is is that we're not to waste our time. I really don't think we should just spend time, but we should invest time. You know, many of us have heard phrases in the past like, oh, I'm just killing time, right? Which really means I'm just wasting time right now to get from this time to this time, and so I'm just squandering the time that it has. You know, I'm really good at that personally, I shouldn't be as good at, it, good at it as I am, but, you know, we all have skills. A man named Henry David Thoreau said this, you can't kill time without injuring eternity. Now think about that. If you waste the time God has given you here in this life on this earth, you're affecting eternity. You're affecting your forever. And so not only does Peter bring up time here in chapter 4, but the other key point he brings up here is the will of God. He mentions that twice. He says it earlier, um, referencing God's will, and then later on he talks about God's standard, which is the same concept. And so the overarching theme of this section that we're going to be looking at tonight is, is really this concept. In whatever time you have left, okay, it doesn't matter about the past, whatever time you have left, use it to do the will of God because that is the greatest investment of your time you could possibly do. So let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. And we thank you for every time, Lord, that we have to gather together, Lord, because studying your word is so fruitful to our life now and our life in eternity. God, I pray tonight you would speak to us, Lord, about how we spend our time, how to use it wisely, how to invest it wisely, Lord, to make the best use of the seconds and the minutes and the hours and the days and weeks and years that you've given us here on earth. And Lord, tonight's not a, uh, an opportunity to, to reflect on how much we've wasted, Lord. The idea is to look forward, to make use of the time we have left, Lord. And you even state that here in these, in these verses, Lord. So I pray, God, that we would be encouraged on really how to make the best use of our time, how to invest it wisely. So, Lord, speak to us tonight. Help us, Lord, to learn to make the time we have count. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to read all six verses, and I'm going to go back and dig through it so we can get the whole thought here. He says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, he goes, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. For there has already been enough time spent doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. But they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, that they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. And so I want to point out four things here in these verses that that we can apply into our lives to really make time count, to make the time we have count. And the first one is there in verse one, and it really is the concept that to, to really make our time here on earth count, we need to resist sin, all right? We need to resist sin. Look, look what he says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. Now, the phrase I want you to key in on there is arm yourselves. That is a military term that Peter is using here. The picture is, is, is that of a soldier who is putting on their gear, getting ready to go into battle, getting ready to go into the fight. And he says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, and that's referring obviously to the last uh, few verses there in chapter three where it talks about that Christ suffered for us, that he suffered on the cross. And, and, and in looking at that, we can see that suffering can be a good thing, right? Suffering can bring good. And so in looking at the crucifixion of Christ and who Christ is and why he came and what he did in suffering on the cross, he goes, since he suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same understanding, Now, he's not talking about arming ourselves on the outside. He's not talking about any type of outwardly preparation for battle because when he says arm yourselves with the same understanding, he's talking about our mind. Other translations say arm yourselves with the same mind. The idea here is in order to make the best use of the time that God has given you for the rest of your life, the first thing you gotta do is get your head in the game. You gotta get your mind in the battle. You gotta bring your mind and your thinking to the reality that you are in a fight and you have to mentally prepare for that fight every moment of every single day. Because every moment of every single day, your enemy is coming against you to get you to fall, to get you to stumble, to get you to sin. The enemy is coming against you every single day to get you to disqualify yourself from service, from ministry, by doing that which dishonors God and his disobedience to him. And so we need to be ready and mentally prepared and for the believer, the battle to resist sin in our life so that we are then living the will of God and doing what God wants, that battle to resist sin always begins in our mind. Sinful thoughts precede sinful actions. That's how it is with most people. Most of us will have a thought enter our mind to do something, to go somewhere, to participate in something we know is wrong, we shouldn't be doing. And it starts as that fiery dart enters the mind, and instead of rejecting and turning away from that, we entertain the thought. And as we entertain those thoughts, they become actions. Peter, earlier in this letter, I think this is why he wrote this in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, as he was calling the believers to holy living, he said this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. 
He's talking about being mentally prepared. You know, behavioral science for decades has known and taught that, that our behavior is largely determined by our subconscious mind. And I think the Bible backs this up in Proverbs chapter three, or chapter 23, verse seven in the ISV translation. It says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. That what we let run through our minds and occupy our minds and what we're thinking about and dwelling on and focusing on, that will then result in how we live our life. And if we're dwelling on disobedient things, we're gonna do disobedient things. And so the mind that he's talking about here, I believe the reason he uses this military term, arm yourselves with the same understanding or arm yourselves with the same mind in order to resist sin is that we need to have a mind that is militant towards sin. Militant towards sin. We should have an aggressive stance towards sin in our attitude. We shouldn't think of sin as our friend. We shouldn't think of sin as something that we're, we're okay with. I can get comfortable with. I can allow a little bit into my life. I can, we shouldn't think of sin in any other way than sin is an enemy combatant. Is an enemy who has one goal, to destroy us. That is what sin is. Sin is the bad guy. Sin is the criminal that's trying to hurt us. Sin is the weirdo that's gonna do bad things, right? It's, it's, you gotta think militant towards sin. Because the reality is if we don't make time to, to battle sin and we don't start with the mental preparation to say sin is the enemy and so I'm gonna be ready for its attack and I'm gonna be ready to resist and fight against it. If we don't make time for that battle, then what sin does is will take time away from your life. as you'll wake up one day in the gutter and go, how did 10 years of my life disappear to alcohol? As you wake up and go, how did, how did, how did I get here? I just started with, with one hit. And now I've blinked my eyes and drugs have destroyed everything that, that I worked my whole life for. If we don't take time to battle sin, sin will take time away from your life. It ruins, it distracts, it destroys. And so we really need to cultivate really a hatred towards sin. Not a hatred towards sinners, right? That's different. But a hatred towards sin. So that when it comes knocking on our door, we're not like, oh hey bud, come hang out. Yeah, me and you aren't friends right now, but we can talk. No, get off my porch. Go away. You're not welcome here. And we need to develop this militant attitude, a hatred towards sin, not just because of what it does to us, but, but also because of what it did to Jesus, right? Sin killed Jesus, right? It says there, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, it's talking about his crucifixion, that perfect, sinless God came and dwelt on this earth in the flesh, lived a perfect life, never did anything wrong, said anything wrong, thought anything wrong, but he suffered death for our sin. You know, we're entering that time of year. Next month is Good Friday, and next month is Easter, and we're entering that season where, where the church, you know, we collectively take that moment to take a good, hard look at the cross and what that meant, right, as we gather for Good Friday to look at the cost of our sin and the price that God paid to save us 
And when I look at the cross, when I dwell on the cross and what Jesus did for me, I'm looking at what my sin did to my Savior. I'm not looking at what somebody else's sin did to my Savior, what my sin did to my Savior. And if I love him as much as I profess to love him, I should hate the sin that nailed him to the cross. I should hate the sin that caused him to, to suffer and to bleed for me. The, the, the sin that I did that, that made it so he had to do that. I should not be friendly and casual with the sin that killed Jesus. And so we need to arm ourselves, it says there, with the same understanding, the same mind that really is the mind that Jesus had. Right? That's what it's saying there. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same understanding. It's talking about the, the mind, the understanding that Jesus had. You know, when Jesus came to earth, you read through the Gospels and you look at his life, he came to earth really with a, with a, with a, a love for humanity and a desperate care and concern for our lost condition, but a real militant attitude about sin. It was proven by his steady march towards the cross through his entire life in ministry. Jesus came to deal with sin, to deal with it once and for all, to take away the sting of death, to set us free from the bondage that sin had in our lives. He, he came to deal with it. He didn't come to have negotiations. He didn't come to, to you know, well, well sin, we're going we're gonna to do some financial sanctions against you while you kill people. He came to say, no. I'm dealing with this. I'm going to put an end to this evil. He came to die on the cross for us. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. That word determined there in other translations, it says he steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. Right, that language there is just like a soldier marching into battle. That soldier who's going, look, if we don't take that hill, if we don't take that bridge, the people behind me are going to die. And so even though I may die in the process, I'm going to do battle. And it's that same mindset to say sin is the enemy that Peter is calling us to here. Why did Jesus march into that battle? Because he was going to deal with it. Now, we all have a relationship with sin. Every single one of us struggle with sin. We have back and forth with sin. But in our relationship with God, what should be our goal in, re in regards to sin? Our ultimate aim and goal when it comes to sin. Well, look what he says there in verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Why? Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. That's our goal, to be finished with sin. I'm done with you. You're dead. You have no influence in my life, right? That's the goal. That's the ultimate uh, aim and goal when it comes to sin. It's a battle worth fighting, but newsflash. Here on this side of heaven, on, on, uh, while we're here on earth, we're not going to fully conquer sin. We're never going to fully conquer the, the presence and the effect of sin in our lives while we are alive here on this earth. 
We're not going to fully conquer sin until we're gone from this earth and in the presence of Jesus in glory. But that doesn't mean we can quit the fight. That doesn't mean we can ease up on our resistance against sin. It doesn't mean we could let sin rob us of our life and rob us of the time that we have here to do the will of God as his children. And so make the time you have here count by resisting sin. Militantly, fight it, battle against it so that your time is spent doing what honors God instead of doing what is wicked. In Genesis chapter four, verse seven, God told Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you but you must rule over it. James chapter four, seven says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Luke twenty two forty, Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Right, and then Jesus also talked, taught us to pray this way, deliver us from the evil one. All of that language is resistance language, right? Guerrilla warfare, rising up, rising up against the power against us. It's all military speak, to fight it, to resist it, to push it away, to win the battle. So the first thing, you want to make the time you have left here on this earth count. To matter in eternity, resist sin. Now the second way to really make our time count is to then seek God's will. Look at verse 2. He goes on to say, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Why do we arm ourselves with that same mind that Jesus had towards sin, the very cause of his suffering? Why do we then obey him and live in obedience to him, even when it causes us to suffer with a goal that I want to be free from sin, I want to be completely free of his power and control over my life, and I'm going to push towards that goal? is so that we could live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for the will of God. This gets right to the heart of what we are to do with the time we have remaining on this earth. And that's why I keep saying that phrase because he says it there, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh. When is the time to make a decision to live for Jesus or to get back to living for Jesus? When is the time? Today. Yesterday, it was yesterday, was the time. Tomorrow, then will be the time. The time is now. It's not, I'll get my life right and start being obedient to God and start living for his will instead of my own desires. I'll do it in a month. I'll do it next week. I'll do it when X, Y, Z happens. No, the time is now. The best use of our time is when we invest that time doing the will of God. And really, doing God's will should be the lifelong pursuit of every believer, right? I want to do God's will. I want to live the way God wants me to live. I want to be obedient to him. And really, it's an investment that has guaranteed returns, right? If you're into stocks and you're trading crypto and all that kind of stuff, man, that's just... Stuff goes up and down constantly. You know, and you gotta be really skilled and really trained and have a little bit of luck to do really well in those types of markets. And sometimes people are like, I'm not gonna invest ever financially because I don't understand it and I don't wanna lose my own money. 
But then it comes to us being a Christian, we understand that if we invest our time doing God's will, there's rewards in heaven, it's guaranteed, it's a promise, and we still don't invest our time doing God's will. Why? It's a guaranteed return. It is a guaranteed return. And really, here and now, you want an adventurous life, you want a satisfying life, you want a a life of purpose and meaning, make the will of God in all things your number one pursuit in life. Make being obedient to what God wants the number one pursuit in your life, and I guarantee you, you will have some interesting times, both good and both challenging. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You see, even as Christians, sometimes we get caught up trying to seek everything we need that we think we need, and we put seeking God and, and his righteousness on the back burner. I'll do that later, Lord. I've, 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 I've got this coming up, and I've got this event, and I've got that, and you know what, and you know, I, I need to study more first before I hand out tracts, and I, I need to, and, and so, you know, and Lord, I don't really have time to, to take a class online to be better at evangelism because, you know, actually, I'm, I'm working on this promotion, and, you know, we got to take care of our business, and I'm not saying don't handle your business and handle your responsibilities, but Jesus said, look, if you focus on, on God first and his righteousness, he's going to take care of you. Because right before Matthew 6, is where he says, look at the lilies in the field, right? They're so beautifully arrayed, right? And they, and they, they have, you know, the best clothing, right? They're so beautiful. You know, if God clothed the flowers in the field, don't you think he's going to take care of your needs? God's will for our life is the most important thing in our life. And I think it's the most exciting thing in our life. Someone once said that there's two days in a person's life that are the most important. The first is the day they were born, and the second is the day they find out what they were born for. And man, when you pursue the will of God for your life and God starts to reveal that to you, you find out why God made you, why God created you, it's exciting. What does God want out of your life? What does God want for you? There's some broad general things that are just non-negotiables, right? But then there's some specific things. There's a reason God made you. And ultimately, that reason is to have fellowship with you as his creation. But while we're here on earth, it's like, God, what do you you want me to do? Who do you want me to be for your kingdom and your glory? And so seek it, pursue it, pray for it. Now, I do want to give you a warning. You know, in the pursuit of the will of God for your life, don't get weird. Don't, like, over-spiritualize it or, or mysticize it. Right? Sometimes we could do that when we're seeking God's will for our lives. I read a story about a farmer who was like, you know, you know, God, do you want me to be a farmer? Do you not? I'm not sure. What do you want me to do? Right? And so he was sitting out in the fields one day looking up at the clouds in the sky, and these two clouds seemed to form the letter P and the letter C. And he looked up at that, and he goes, P, C. <gasps> Preach Christ. God has spoken to me and given me a sign in the heavens. And so he sold his farm and he started a preaching ministry. The challenge was, he was a terrible speaker, absolutely terrible, bad communicator. It just, it wasn't his gifting to communicate, right? And so one day, one of his friends came up to him and said, you know, is it possible the P and C meant plant corn? Maybe, you know? 
Sometimes we could just try and read into things, right? You know, and it's just the idea is, is live the remaining time of your life in pursuit of, of, of what God wants for you, God's will instead of your own. And in the process, I think God reveals to us what he wants us to do in moments, where he wants us to serve, how he wants us to use our talents and gifts. But make it your ambition to discover what God wants for you daily. God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? How do you want me to act? You know, and, and, then, and then let it happen. I'm going to say let it happen naturally, but it's really supernatural as God speaks to us. So let it happen supernaturally. God will guide you. Now, your circumstances your talents, th- that all can inform that, right? You know, if you're like terrible with money, terrible, terrible with money, you know, maybe God's not calling you to be in charge of the finances at the church, you know? But maybe you're really, really good with money and God's calling you to, to get involved in, 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 in ministry as an administrator or he's calling you to go be a Christian business person. You know, maybe you're, you're really good, you're just talented, naturally talented with making friends wherever you go. People just naturally want to talk to you and hear what you have to say. Well, guess what? You might have a gift of encouragement. You might have a call to evangelize, you know, in a, in a more regular and aggressive way than the rest of the body is called. But, but, but all of that can inform that, you know? Your circumstances, you know, if you're married, it's not a question whether or not God's will is for you to be a godly wife or husband. No question. Hmm, I wonder. If you're a Christian and you're married, it's God's will for you to be a godly wife or a husband, right? But what I'm saying here is, is, is don't force it. Don't, don't manipulate it, right? We're good at manipulating things for God's will. You know, I read about a guy who was on a diet. He told everybody at work, hey, everybody, I'm on a diet. Hold me accountable, right? And they're like, all right, we'll do it. One day, he walks into work with this huge cake in his hands. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second, bro. Remember, you're dieting. You asked us to hold you accountable. And he goes, no, it's God's will for me to have this cake. They're like, what? He goes, you know, I was driving into work, and there's this bakery that I passed. And I looked over at the bakery, and there was this huge cake in the window. And he goes, it's the one I brought. And he goes, you know, I said, Lord, if it's your will for me to have that cake, there will be a parking spot open right in front of the door to that bakery. And he goes, wouldn't you know it, on my eighth time around the block, the spot was open. Sometimes we'll do that weird type of stuff like that to try and force it, right? But to really make our time count on earth, we're to resist sin and we're to seek the will of God. And while you're seeking the will of God, do what you know is the general will of God, right? Be the person that you know he's just calling you to be as a Christian. Look at your circumstances and be who he's calling you to be in those circumstances. And, 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 and say, well, I, I, I'm gifted in this and, and I have these talents. And, and look for ways to use how God has gifted you to minister to his body. All the while, while you're going, okay, God, is there something specific you want from me? Is there somewhere you want me to go? Is there something you want me to do? So resist sin, seek the will of God, and then the third thing to really make your time count while you're here on earth is to aggressively renounce your past. To renounce your past. To come to a place in your life where you look at who you used to be, what you used to do, and you just say, look, enough is enough. I want nothing to do with that. That's the old me. That's my old lifestyle. That's not the person I am anymore. Look at verse three. 
He says, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. And he goes on to give us a list of things, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. The idea here is to renounce those things, to, to say, no, the, I, I stand against those things. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list for sure, but, but he's saying, look, those things, those behaviors, those activities, those, those things you used to do that aren't good for you, that don't glorify God, that you know for a fact aren't God's will, and if you spent two seconds reading the Bible, you would figure out maybe that one you're not sure of is definitely not God's will. Those things that you know are sinful, don't do those things. He goes, look, before you were saved, you spent enough time doing all of that. Some of you, while you're saved, he's going, look, you've spent enough time trying to live the old life. And to be quite honest, the investment of time doing the things that are disobedient to God, that are sinful, don't pay good dividends. They don't pay off in your future. Remember, the best use of your time is when you invest it doing the will of God. And so these things that he mentions here, unrestrained behavior, that simply means an excessive pursuit of, of just what feels good, unrestrained by morality. Whatever makes me feel good. This can be excessive immorality. This could be wanton violence, right? We've seen that in the last couple years. People would try to find a, a cause, a, a something happens in the courts on the news as an excuse to go burn down their whole neighborhood and just destroy things. Evil desires, that's an excessive craving for things that, 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 that replace the proper affections in your life for God. Drunkenness, that's self-explanatory. It's what you think it is. The word orgies there, it's a little bit different than you might think of what that word means. And it's really, in the Greek, it means binge parties. <laughs> binge parties. I was like, ooh. You know, binging Netflix is a cultural norm now. <laughs> Do I want to use the word binge, you know? But it means binge parties. But it's, it's these type of parties where, where, where the pursuit of more and more shocking overindulgence is the normal. That type of party, right? So it, 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 it does focus more on sexual immorality, right? Because the next word he uses is carousing, which is the same thing, a binge party where the pursuit of more and more over-shocking indulgence is the norm, but that focuses on, on food or drugs or alcohol. And then lawless idolatry is, is what that means is a disgusting, forbidden act of worship to a material representation of a false god. And that might not be something we really see today, right? You don't go to a place and, hey, there's the statue of Zeus, and we're doing just forbidden, disgusting things in worship of the statue, but we definitely have a different type of lawless idolatry in our world today is we worship self, we worship narcissism, we worship money, we worship status, what Peter is simply saying here is, look, we've all wasted enough time doing bad stuff. We've all wasted enough time doing stuff that, that was just the excessive pursuit of my own pleasure as if the experiences of this life was all that existed. We've all spent enough time to whatever degree. Some of you might go, you know, I never did any of those things, you know. But there may be a thought life you have that is sinful, that you've indulged in. Peter's saying we've all, in one way or another, wasted enough time. 
pursuing the pleasures of self at the expense of pursuing the will of God. And there are many in this world who have lived and still live radical lives of sin, right? You know, you hear testimonies of prostitutes and, you know, adult film stars and, and, and drug addicts and, 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 and all this type of stuff. And you, you hear these testimonies of people who, who lived entire lives, their entire world was debauchery. And then so then the parties they would go to after their job of debauchery was just even worse, just horrific things you hear. But there's also many radical sinners whose lives were saved by radical salvation. That people who are involved in the, in the, in the just most debauched things, lives have been turned around. And when you hear these testimonies, you'll find out that oftentimes there was a moment of where, look, enough is enough. I'm done. I'm done doing these horrible things. I'm done with that life. I'm done with, with, with the sin. And, 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 and sometimes believers have this moment where they've backslidden and they've gone into the pigsty like the prodigal son and they reach a point where they go, I am done running away from God. I am done with disobedience. And Peter is speaking to believers here and he's like, look, we've all come to that place in our life where, where the self-seeking life without Christ just, just was, was I'm, I'm done with it. Right? Some were alcoholics and they came to a moment where they said enough. Some were drug addicts and they came to the place where they said enough. Some were, were, were hateful, angry, violent people and they said enough. Some were proud, church-going, Bible-carrying hypocrites who one day said enough. And if you came to that moment at some point when you're, in your life where you were just done with being a slave to sin... Peter's saying, don't go back. Don't go back to that. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life doing things that, that are just going to destroy you ultimately and do nothing to invest in your future. Don't, don't waste the time you have left with all of that. Instead, invest the time you have left pursuing the will of God. Renounce that past life. Don't look back longingly. Don't reflect. Say, no, renounce it. That is not who I am anymore, and that is not how I'm going to live. So resist sin, seek God's will, renounce your past life. These three things will make the time, left, time that you have left here on earth count. But then the last one is to really be about reaching the lost. Now, I might have lost you right there because you're like, oh, there they go with that evangelism stuff. I'm not good at that. <laughs> I'm not a preacher. But look at what it says in verse 4 and 5. He goes, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you but they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, unsaved people don't get it when God changes a life. They are surprised. It says it right there, they are surprised. The friends you used to hang out with before you were saved, that you did all these partying things did, that you were just whatever person you were before Christ, they don't get it when you get saved. They are surprised. They are shocked. I've had so many people over the years that knew me in high school go, you do what now? Yeah, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you always were a jokester. No, really, I'm a pastor. And in, you know, my life before Christ was, was sinful. 
And when I got saved, those friends that I said, you know, I can't do that anymore and I can't hang out with you anymore because you're gonna keep doing those things, they were surprised. They were shocked. Now it's interesting to me because for some reason the world isn't surprised when someone wrecks their body with drugs. They're not, oh. The world isn't surprised when someone wrecks their home with cheating and infidelity and abuse. The world isn't surprised when someone wrecks their employment with too many hangovers. They're not surprised at any of that, but they're surprised when someone's life is changed by Jesus Christ. They're surprised when you, when me, who used to drink, smoke, sleep around, party, lie, cheat, steal, all with them, they're surprised when one day you're going, no, I want to read my Bible. I want to go to church. I want to hang out with Christians. And so they attack your name, they attack your reputation, they accuse you falsely of things just to hurt you. But it says here, look, without Christ, those very people who are attacking you for the salvation you have and and coming against you and slandering you for the stance you have here, it says that one day they will stand before Almighty God and give an account. Now, when it comes to us making the best use of the time we have left on this earth and it comes to the people in the world that hate God and stand against us and some of them are our friends and people we used to know and party with and sin with and all that, the easiest thing for us to do is to simply ignore them, right? Just move on, pretend they don't exist. You're a part of a world I'm not a part of anymore, never gonna talk to you. And just go on with your Christian life, living in your Christian bubble. But when we do that, When we live that way, we're ultimately acting selfishly. Pursuing God's a good thing. Hanging out with Christians is a good thing. You know, plugging into your church, it's all a good thing. But if we use those things as an excuse to not share the gospel with the lost and dying and hateful against Jesus' world, we're acting selfishly. We're not investing our time wisely. Look at verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. You know, the world is a fallen cesspool of debauchery. And I've often asked the question over my life as a believer, I'm like, you know, why doesn't God just take us out of here when we get saved? I mean, this world is pretty horrible, right? Why doesn't God, like the moment God come into my life, be my Lord and Savior, God, I, I accept you. Please forgive me of my sins, change my life. Boop, why doesn't he just go, sweet, take it out of this world, you're going to heaven. Well, I think it's God's will that we stay because in 1 Timothy 2, 4, it tells us what God's will is for the world. It said, God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And for those people around you who do all manner of immoral, sinful things, some of them friends you used to do those things with, those who hate Christ, hate the church, and hate everything associated with it, those who slander those who have come out of their world into the world of salvation and saving relationship with Christ, you might be their only hope you might be their only hope. You might be the only one they'll ever actually listen to when they say, look, I need to talk to you about salvation. I need to talk to you about what Jesus did in my life. 
they are going to give an account. And that should worry us. That should burden our hearts. Because if they stand before God to give an account without Jesus Christ, it's an eternity in hell. But we have an opportunity to preach to them, to share the gospel with them. And so while they slander us, the best use of our time is not to slander back, not to be hateful, not to ignore them, not to curse their name and say, God, kill them all. But it's to love them. It's to be patient with them. It's to preach the truth to them. As you serve them, as you minister to them, don't ignore them. Don't ever have an attitude like, well, they're on their own. No, we are to invest our time with them in, in getting them the truth, whether it's gospel tracts, whether it's conversations we get to have with them, whether it's taking opportunities to go into places and to serve those that are hurting, that are destitute. I'm gonna share some information Sunday about um, what's going on in the Ukraine. We talked about it last Sunday and, and uh, got some information at a meeting on Tuesday about opportunities for the body of Christ to, to minister to some people that are hurting uh, really bad, and I'm going to share more of that on, on, on Sundays, but, but you know, you look around the world sometimes, and you see places where people's lives have been turned upside down, and sometimes God calls Christians within the body to go there and to minister to those people and to love on them. But we might go and to, to share with, with, with people that, that, that don't know Christ, whether they hate Christ or, or, or whether it's just people that just don't know him and they're suffering, and we share with them and they don't get it. And we want them to know the, the love of Christ and they don't get it. And we're like, well, they're not getting it. Whatever, I'm just gonna go back to my Christian life. Well, we know they don't get it. The Bible tells us that, that, that outside of Christ, we are blind, deaf, and dumb to spiritual things. On top of that, they're spiritually dead. That's why when we get saved, we're born again. Our spirit is made alive. And so you might be like, yeah, I've tried talking to people. Can God even open their eyes? He opened yours, didn't he? Well, can God even bring the dead back to life? <laughs> really? You know? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. And he has great love for them too. He has great love for them too and so we preach the gospel as much as we can with the time we have. And we take advantage of opportunities to get the gospel out. That's why here at Hosanna we provide tracts you know, in different ways. And we have this great relationship with Living Waters and Living Waters has blessed us with a, a new gospel of John that they've given us. And, and you know, in, in my heart as a pastor is to challenge you as the body of Christ, whether you're here or online, to, to, to just take one tract and give it to somebody and say, hey, I just want you to know God loves you. Just start with one. Start with one. And the next week, do another one. And you might think, how is one track going to affect the world? 
And you could spend hours going online to read testimonies of how one gospel track got into someone's hand and that person got saved and they have changed communities and they have changed cities and they have changed countries for Jesus Christ. But we need to care enough to spend our time getting the gospel out in every way we can. So we have limited time here on earth. And for us that are believers, you know, before Christ, we may have wasted more of it than we'd like to admit on <laughs> doing stupid things and living sinfully, pursuing human desires. Maybe you're in here tonight or watching online, and, and you know, even after Christ, God has spoken to you tonight that you've been squandering this precious, limited resource you have called time. You've been still living for your own desires and living for your own pleasures instead of the will of God. Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting your time. Today, every single one of us can choose to reinvest the time we have left, to reinvest our remaining time wisely. And we could do that by resisting sin, by fighting against its presence and its hold in our lives, by arming ourselves with the same mindset that Jesus had that sin was to be defeated not welcomed, not entertained. By seeking God's will in everything, day by day, moment by moment, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. To say, God, what do you want for me today? And the next day, God, what do you want me for today? And moment by moment throughout our day, God, what do you want for me? What is your will for me? To do the obvious things, the general things, the things that just apply to every Christian, yes, do those things to look for ways to apply the gifts and the talents that, that God has given you and gifted you with to serve him and to bless his people. And in all of that, letting God guide you moment by moment into his will. We can invest our time tonight by renouncing our past lives, our past behaviors, by taking a really strong dogged stand that that is not who I am anymore. And so I will not live as that person anymore. And I think the greatest investment of our time is to be a part of reaching the lost, which I believe is one of the very reasons God leaves us here after our salvation. God, I'm saved. Take me home. Neighbor's not saved yet. Your coworker's not saved yet. Your friend's not saved yet. I want you to go be a light to them. I want you to go share the gospel with them. I want you to bring hope into their lives. Don't isolate, don't huddle up with only other believers, but regularly be a part of sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel to those that don't know Jesus Christ. Sometimes we do that with tracks and stuff. Sometimes it's just by saying, hey, can I help you? Can I carry the groceries for you? Can I give you a bottle of water? Those, those acts of love and service can open those doors to the gospel. And when we invest our time this way, we make the best possible use of the time we have. So again, Sunday, I challenged the body with the tracks. We got a bunch over here. I thought it was kind of funny, those million-dollar build, build tracks. Stuck, stacked them up in a big pile. Looks like a big pile of millions of dollars <laughs> sitting over there. I was like, well, I don't know what kind of message that's sending. But um, we're not a money-happy church. We're a Jesus-happy church. And so just challenging you, you know, just grab a tract. It could be the God Cares tracks. That's an invitation to Hosanna. It could be, we got tracks all over the place. Pat Rojas put together these little newspapers. We're rolling them up. You know, they look like a newspaper. Go pass those out. 
I do need to give the public service announcement. It is illegal to put them in someone's mailbox. Please don't do that. We've already gotten a number of phone calls from angry people, okay? Don't put them in the mailbox. That's a federal crime. Toss them if you want, hand it to them, but don't put it in the mailbox. But do something. Get it out, okay? Because um, we honestly don't know how much time we have left. You know, we might be looking at our lives tonight and going, oh, I'm young, I've got 80 years. Do you really? You look at the state of the world today and what's taking place, and you go back and you look at end times prophecy and stuff, and man, things are, things are looking pretty scary. And things are lining up really nice for the return of the Lord. And uh, honestly, I can't wait for that to happen, and I hope it comes way sooner than later. But until then, let's make use of the time God has given us wisely, to invest it wisely to his glory, amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, and we love you. So God bless us. Speak to us, Lord. Help us, God, to, to, to just through the power of your Holy Spirit, to to have this militant attitude against sin so that we wouldn't waste time living disobediently, but God, we would spend our time seeking your will, doing what we know is your will as we seek the specifics of what else you might want us to do, Lord. God, that we would be people who aggressively renounce our past. We've spent enough time with sin, Lord. Let's be done with sin and help us, God, again through your Holy Spirit. And that, God, when we look at how we spend our lives and our time, yes, Lord, we've got work and we've got bills to pay and we've got responsibilities and those are all important things, Lord, in those things to be godly. But, Lord, that we would always have a mindset that even in those things, we are to be people who, who, who shine the light of Christ into this lost world. That we would be people who are preaching and sharing with those who are dead in their trespasses and sins because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And so God, move in and through our lives. Empower us to do what you're calling us to do. That we would invest the time we have remaining in this life wisely to your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Let's worship.